Here we are on this rainy Thursday, ready to talk about God. I have an idea. Why don't we talk about God? Wow. Let's talk about God. Wow, that was a good radio voice. You working on it? Don't do it. Wherever you go, whatever you do, WCZY Cozy 99.9 FM, your easy listening radio station. (laughs) It's good, isn't it? Coleman, can you throw in like some fake applause or something? (laughs) If that's possible. Just kidding. Anyway, if, if I ever stop pastoring, I know what I'm going. I'm going to be a DJ, a radio DJ. Today it is a crazy rainy day, but a good day for making podcasts and listening to podcasts. We've got Evan. We've got sick Chris. Yeah, I'm under the weather. It's not fun, but that's all right. We're going to get through it. I'm going to try not to sniffle too much, but you might hear a sniffle every once in a while. I apologize in advance. Uh, We'll get through it. Today is going to be good. Thank you so much for sacrificing your time and being sick to talk about our topic today, which is that (laughs) Jesus Christ as priest. As the priest. Yeah, I need him. I need him to intercede for me right now. That was... Smooth. That was was one of my best ones yet. Anyways, today, um, and continuing on with our series of Jesus as prophet, priest, and king, we are going to be talking about Jesus as priest, which we're really, really excited about. So go ahead, as always, what's your 30-second definition? What does it mean when we say Jesus as priest? Uh, I think Jesus as priest is when Jesus operates in the role as our um, reconciler, intercessor and blesser Ooh, i like that there you go that's smooth thank yeah, you i like that that I, I i wouldn't change really much or anything i, I like mean, it that, that that's pretty much that, that sums it up okay say that one more time it's jesus operating in his role as our reconciler intercessor and blesser i like it i or like the one it who lot. reconciles us to god intercedes uh for us on our behalf to mm-hmm. god and then speak covenant blessing to us mm. in the name of God. I like it. Or as God would be even better. Better. Now, when we hear that, you know, all of that sounds really, really good. But then when we say that makes Jesus a priest, we have to ask, okay, how does this fit in with the priestly system? You know that Jesus is all of those things, but why does that make him a priest? And then obviously when we're talking about Jesus being a prophet, priest, or king, He's taking all of these offices, all of these roles from the Old Testament. So why don't we go ahead and start in the Old Testament and talk about what is a priest, and then we'll specifically talk about a high priest and see where Jesus is adapting this priestly role based from the Old Testament. Yeah, and let's do this before we get started. Um, last month, we talked about Jesus as prophet. Mm-hmm. Today, we're talking about Jesus as priest. So I think the easiest way for un- us to understand this uh, to make a comparison, a mm-hmm. contrast, is that the prophet speaks to men from God, but the priest speaks to God for men. That's good. So there's the difference. We saw the, the what we call the revelatory role of Jesus mm-hmm. last month when we talked about how as the prophet, he speaks the word of God. So you have the prophet speaking to men from God, giving us the thoughts of God, the commands of God, the precepts of God, and we receive them. 
And so Jesus operates in that role. He is the logos, the word. We talked about mm-hmm. that last month. This month or today, it's the it's the the opposite. The contrast is that now he is speaking to the Father and representing us to the Father. He's doing this on our behalf. So the prophet is God's representative. The priest is man's representative. That's the best way to put it right there. That's good. In the simplest form. Let's see how that plays out beginning with the Old Testament. Um, when we say Jesus is a priest, we specifically mean that he's a high priest. But before we get that get there, let's just talk about the priesthood in the Old Testament. Let's simply ask, what is a priest? Um, a priest is, like we said, someone who represents the people to God. When we look at the Old Testament, um, specifically when we look at the Mosaic law, God set up the nation of Israel. He sets up a priesthood. Um, and under the Mosaic law, it was actually of the tribe of Levi, um, and specifically the descendants of Aaron, who was the spokesman essentially for Moses. His descendants, the tribe of Levi, they were the ones that would be priests. And so once the tabernacle or the temple was set up, they would represent the people to God and they would offer a number of sacrifices. So there for sure would be sin offerings um, to, to atone for your sins. But there were also another, you know, a, a bunch of different offerings just for God of thanksgiving, of of praise, of of all kinds of of different offerings. And so they would be the ones to offer that up for the people. In a sense, they were mediators. They they stood in the middle, representing um, God's people to God. The, min- the middleman. The middleman, for sure. And, yeah. and they were the ones, they entered into the presence of God for the people. They would step into the temple, into the holy place where God's presence dwelt, and there they would represent the people. They were holy men, in a sense. There was a a, a nation called to be holy, at times very unholy, God, even in this whole system with all the rituals and the laws and the cleansing, reminded them of their unholiness. But the priest would wash themselves, go through all kinds of cleansing and purity. They would wear priestly vestments and garbs representing their holiness, representing the people as holy to go in and make sacrifices to ritually cleanse the people and make them holy before a holy God. So when we say priesthood, it's working for the people, representing the people, being in the presence of God, bringing cleansing, bringing um, amended relationship for the people of God. They were working for um, for Israel as an entire nation, you know, essentially. Yeah, exactly. And even uh, I was sitting here trying to find it. I didn't have it. I could pull it on the internet, but it doesn't matter. When we were doing research, uh, even the the Greek, the Hebrew word doesn't bear it out as much as the Greek word, but it is a person who is sanctified or set apart, who is anointed, mm-hmm. who is seen as someone special. Mm-hmm. So even though you may just say by virtue of our understanding of like, like the Catholic Church has priests or the Anglican Church has priests, whatever, but but even if you didn't grow up or have any idea, kind of like us, we've, mm-hmm. we've never been involved in a religion with priests, but yet we've, we've seen enough, whether it's on TV or things we've read, to know that everything you stated about what they wore and how they looked um, di- signified mm-hmm. the dignity of, of their office, the yeah. specialness of their office. They were, they were uniquely different. Mm-hmm. And so we're applying that to Jesus is that his role as our priest is very significant and it's different and it's 
unique and it's special. Mm-hmm. And obviously because he's special. Yeah. And, and it I requires think, holiness. Right. And I, the difference is I think the priesthood took an ordinary man and made him special, but God takes the concept of priesthood and makes it extraordinarily special mm-hmm. because he's God. Yeah. The priest, priesthood role doesn't make him special. Mm-hmm. It's extraordinary that God would take on that role and that makes it extraordinarily special because he's serving in it for us. Yeah, that's good. Now we have the priesthood. We have those who, you know, regularly represented the people. But there is a specific position that we see Jesus assuming uh when we say priest, we generally refer to this, and that's the role of the high priest in the Old Testament. The high priest was the chief priest. He was uh, you know, the highest up you could go, and through him he would accurately represent everyone in all of Israel. Mm -hmm. And he would do this. His greatest work was one day a year on what is called the Day of Atonement. And so that's where the high priest would come in and would represent all of the people. His clothes would represent the people. He'd have the names of the 12 tribes on him. He had various other things that symbolized the 12 tribes and, um, he represented God's people, and then he would step into what's called the most holy place. So you had two separate parts of the temple. You know, you had the holy place, and then behind this curtain was the most holy place, you know, the holy of holies, where God's presence was manifested in an extraordinary manner. And you could only step in one time a year. And so the high priest would cleanse himself, you know, purify himself, change clothes, and then walk into there representing the people, and he would offer sacrifices for the sins of the entire nation, including his own sins. And so they would uh, kill a bull to sanctify the altar. And then as the representative of all of God's people, he's lay his hands on a goat, on the head of a goat called the scapegoat. And then after he'd laid his hands on that goat and ritually transferred the sins of the people to that goat, then the goat would be uh, let out into the wild, drawn into the wilderness to be gone, be exiled, and eventually die. Signifying your sins are taken away from you, never to be seen again. And then he would slaughter another goat and sprinkle the blood, um, I believe on the altar and everything else, for the the cleansing of the people. On the mercy seat. On the mercy seat, yeah. Yeah. He would go into the Holy of Holies. The uh, Ark of the Covenant was the only piece of furniture behind the, the veil. A veil, by the way, that was as thick as your hand is wide. Wow. So, I mean, you know, was your hand seven, six, seven inches or whatever? You can imagine a veil that thick. Yeah. And he would go in behind there and he would sprinkle the blood. The, the, The lid on the Ark of the Covenant was called the mercy seat. And so he would, it had the two cherubims who faced each other and there's wings. And if you ever watched Indiana Jones, the, the first episode, um, then you you would saw they Raiders did a, of the lost Raiders Ark. of their Lost Ark. There you go, the Lost Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> yeah. That was the whole point, and they did a pretty good job of actually making that Ark mm-hmm. look realistic. Uh, probably what it looked like. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty good for Hollywood. And he would take the blood and with a hyssop. I think it was a hyssop branch, and he would sprinkle it mm-hmm. on the mercy seat. Yeah. So the blood is being applied in the presence of God. And uh, I think we've got into this before, I think, but I can't remember. But just all the symbolism there, we don't have time to get into that today. But the they're sprinkling the blood. The blood covers the sins. Well, the 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 
mercy seat was called the, the covering. It was a lid. It covered the ark. So it symbolized the covering that God provides and the animal sacrifice covers our sins. You get into the atonement, which the mm-hmm. word atonement means covering. And so there's all kinds of symbolism there. God in every way possible is trying to tell us that he has established every means possible, trying through ultimately through Jesus Christ. Yeah to cover our sins and deal with our sin problem, make us right with God. These in reality types and shadows, as the Bible calls them, right. of the reality of what Jesus would fulfill. Right, and ultimately, you're right. They find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Um, everything you said, though, um, and I don't, I don't think we're getting ahead of ourselves here, might as well just flow with it, is found that high priest was fulfilled ultimately in Jesus Christ and mm-hmm. his role as the high priest. Yeah. And are, are we getting ahead, or can we we're just get a little there? ahead? All right, just so, give them a little, give them a little spoiler, and we're about to get there in just right, a second. Yeah, because we want to talk about Melchizedek yet, yeah. right? So, the, the, but ultimately, the, you're going to find Jesus. Yeah, the ultimate point this. is you're seeing, and, and and if those of you who are who, who are biblically literate and understand spiritual things, you're all right right now. Your mind's just going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see Jesus, and that Jesus mm-hmm. does, or Jesus did this, and so we're going to talk about that just in a second, but. The, the correlation there and the writer of Hebrews will talk about this, takes all this imagery mm-hmm. and pulls it into the new covenant, which we're now in and says, let me show you how Jesus fulfills what all those high priests did throughout the, the centuries representatively. Mm-hmm. Let me show you how Jesus fulfills it and once and for all. It's interesting how the church fathers draw this out in a sense that what God was doing is that he was starting us out with the easier things to understand and then drawing us through history to the greater things. So he starts with types and shadows and rituals and cleansing and all of that to give us a framework to work with so that when Jesus comes and does his work, we're able to understand it in a greater measure. He starts with those things and then brings us into the reality of that. And that's what we see in Jesus. All right, so talk about Melchizedek because that's a whole whole different ball game. So who's Melchizedek? So there's a reason. So Melchizedek actually came way before this Levitical priesthood. And there's a reason I didn't place it in chronological order to talk about. Because one, when we all hear priest, we don't really think of Melchizedek. We think of the Levitical priesthood. Um, and primarily what God, what Jesus does uh, conforms to a lot of the rituals and whatnot of the Levitical priesthood. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews, and we're going to get into this, that Jesus is a priest after the order, not of Aaron, not of the Levitical priesthood, but of Melchizedek. Now, here's who he is. This goes all the way back into the time of Abraham. Abraham has just got done winning this fantastic battle. He only had like 300 men, but he went and he rescued Lot, and so he comes back and he's, he's done with the battle. Um, he's won the victory. In reality, God's won the victory. And then seemingly out of nowhere, like there's no system set up. There's no, you know, Israelite nation. Out of nowhere, this dude just shows up and God says, this is my priest named Melchizedek. Just comes out of nowhere. We don't have a genealogy. We don't know anything about his parents. We don't know anything about his death. We don't get that picture. We just get this man who shows up and he's a priest after God. He's not only a priest, he's also a king, which we're going to learn about next week. He, he is the king of Salem, but he is all also a priest. And what Abraham does is Abraham actually tithes to this priest, Melchizedek, in order to 
honor God. He ties to him. And just as you were talking about blessing, well, what does Melchizedek do? He blesses Abraham. And this weird, random, sort of isolated story that we don't really hear much about again in the Old Testament just comes and goes. And then it's just, we're kind of done with it. And yet, once we read the book of Hebrews, which we're really, we're about to do, we realize that that story and that Melchizedekian priesthood uh, has more value than we realize. And here's the reason why. So we're grabbing all these strings, y'all, and we're pulling them together. Yes. Jesus was born of the tribe of Judah, so he was not of the tribe of Levi. Therefore, he could not qualify to be a Levitical priest or mm-hmm. a priest directly descended from Aaron and Moses or Aaron. Yeah. Cause, so he was of the tribe of Judah, mm-hmm. all right? So, he, so the point that is being made in Hebrews is that he is not of this earthly priesthood, and that's significant. We don't want him to be of the of the priesthood of Aaron. Or we'd be under the same old covenant if right. we were. <clears throat> and he is, so he is under a different priesthood under Melchizedek. So the, the, the verse you refer to is Psalm 110.4, which says it's a messianic psalm talking mm-hmm. about ultimately about Jesus and says, you are forever a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Yeah. Okay. So also Zechariah 6.13 talks about Jesus' priesthood, by the way. So here's the things about Melchizedek. Uh, he was a royal priest. Mm-hmm. So that means that he was, um, uh, he was the king of Salem, but he was also the priest of God. So Jesus, we're going to learn next month, I think it is, not next week, but next month, but, but we're going to learn about Jesus as the king. So he's, he's just like Jesus in that regard, all right? He is, um, he's unrelated to ancestry. So like you said, there's no connection with Aaron. We don't, we don't mean to say <clears throat> that he doesn't have parents, but the biblical picture of him. The picture is, is that he's not he of a particular yes. line of people. Mm-hmm. And, that, and then so it's, it's, God wrote the Bible specifically on purpose. So on purpose, he doesn't give us these details mm-hmm. to make these kind of points. Yep. All right. The next thing is, is that he's timeless. So he has no beginning, no end. Like you said, we don't know when he was born. We don't know when he died, just like Jesus is eternal. And the the writer of Hebrews says that this priesthood, because the Aaronic priesthood or Levitical priesthood has a beginning and an end, okay, that it's inferior. Mm-hmm. But because Jesus' priesthood is eternal and is, of course, divine and not human, then it is superior to the Aaronic priesthood. So this concept that we get builds up this role of Jesus mm-hmm. that it goes beyond being a Jewish priest. It gets beyond being an Old Testament priest. But this is something fresh and new that God is doing as our great high priest that lasts forever, that yeah. is eternal. And that means it's spiritual and superior in every way. And it applies yeah. to all of us who have been born again. And yet Jesus's priestly work looks so much like the Levitical priesthood. And that's why it's like a mashing together. Because what Jesus is doing, um, he is the, you know, he he's essentially the, he's reenacting and fully realizing the day of atonement, one sin for all. So he's working in that that framework, and yet he is from a different priesthood and ultimately a better priesthood. Um, him being in another priesthood, I, the, the author of Hebrews says, in a way, Levi, who was still in the body of Abraham at the time, paid tithes to Melchizedek. So therefore the priesthood of Melchizedek is greater than the priesthood of Levi 
Because, I mean, in a way, Levi was in, they said, the loins of Abraham and paid tithes to him. And so there's a way in which uh, the Melchizedekian priesthood is even seen as greater than the Aaronic Levitical priesthood that we see in the Old Testament under the Mosaic law. Yeah, and by the way, this is the pastor's coming out of me. If Jesus is our high priest and Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, who he saw as the high priest of God, hundreds of years before the law of Moses, Mm -hmm. because a lot of people say, well, that's Old Testament. I don't have to pay tithes because that's Old Testament. Eh, You got a problem here because here you got Abraham with incredible wealth that he just got, Mm -hmm. an unbelievable amount of wealth. And he takes 10% of it, 10% of it, and he gives it to Melchizedek, the priest of God. Mm-hmm. And there is a principle there. That's why you say, why does a lot of preachers or pastors, especially like I'm one of them, that really encourages people to tithe because Jesus is our great high priest. Yeah. And the principle of tithing is not Old Testament, Old Covenant. It's, it's, it predates that. Remember, the Old Testament is not a book. The Old Testament is a covenant. Testament is just another word for covenant. So when we say Old Testament, we don't just mean, well, if it's found uh, before Matthew, let's just toss it out. That's no. not what we mean. No, the Mosaic <laughs> lo- the Mosaic covenant was a different covenant. Yes. Okay, but this— And this, we've, done a, we've done a podcast on covenants, by the way, yeah. if you want to go hear about that. Go listen to that one. That. But anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in, is that because when I give my tithe, yeah, I, I give it to my church, which is High Praises Church. Your mm-hmm. mom tithes, you tithe. When, when we tithe, your brother tithes. I'm just talking about our family. Um, when we tithe, the check goes to high praises. But in my mind, I'm giving it to Jesus. Yeah. But Jesus, I can't give my money to Jesus because Jesus is in heaven. And, and Jesus has told me, give it to my body on earth. About to say we're united with Christ. We are his body. Well, we are the, the, we are the second incarnation. Yeah. The church. And so he said, give it to my body so that I can do the work I need to do, and that's why you should tithe. Because that's why I I tell people they get mad. People get mad. And they say I'm not. I'm holding my tithe. I'm not giving my tithe. Well, you're trying to I guess hurt the church because you're mad. Or you're mad at the preacher. You get mm. mad. So I'm not giving my tithe. Well, first of all, it's not the preacher's money, and it's not even the church's money. It's Jesus' money. So you're cutting off your nose to spite your face. Yeah. And you're and and you're 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 ticked off and trying to hurt somebody else and the only person you're robbing and hurting is God. Mm. So that's like me getting mad at you but taking it out on your brother. I mean, <laughs> it's not going to work. It does nothing for you but it makes your brother mad and it's like you you're not going to hurt the preacher but you're Jesus is going, "Hey, that's not his money, that's my money." I don't want to be a fearmonger, but I sure don't want to be one who's attacking and offending the Jesus, Jesus himself. Yeah. So uh, this whole concept <laughs> of tithing is for me a really serious one yeah. because I really think that's God's financial program for the ministry of the kingdom. But but if we just get in our heads mm-hmm. that I'm giving it to my high priest Jesus, I'm just bringing it to the local church because yeah. that's what he told me to do. It can make tithing so much easier and so much fun. You're right. And, and it really is worship then. Mm-hmm. Well, look, we've made a lot of Old Testament uh, references. We've talked about this priesthood of Melchizedek, the Levitical priesthood, um, all of these different things. Um, but but let's just let's go ahead and let's tie it all together. Let's lay out what does Jesus's priesthood actually look like, and then let's take what we've said about Melchizedek. Let's take what we've said about the Levitical priesthood, and actually kind of bring it home in the person and work of Jesus. So Jesus is the high priest. 
um, as we see in the New Testament. Um, and we know that Jesus has two natures. I think this will help us define his priestly work is why I'm putting it this way. Jesus is both human and he is both divine. What makes him so great of a high priest are his two natures, that he is human and he is divine. So earlier on, we talked about how the role of a priest and specifically the high priest is to actually represent the people of God to God. Well, Jesus being fully man actually allows him to represent God's people to God perfectly. Well, because he's actually a man, like he's not part human, half human, almost human. He is a full man, a full human, which gives him the right to actually represent humanity to God. He's not um, substituted or he's not um, synthetic or, you know, anything. He's an actual human being, which allows him to represent us to God. And, you know, he's uh, described as the second Adam. We know that Adam was the representative of all of humanity. And so now the second Adam is able to represent humanity well and go to God for us on our behalf. Um, so it makes him the perfect high priest. Yeah, I mean, he had to be made like us in every way the Bible talks about and how he became um, one of us so that he could taste death for us and so that he could become the captain of our salvation and suffer for us, ultimately through death, destroy him who had the power of the death of death, which is the devil. Um, Hebrews 3.17 said, Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being um, tested, he able is he is able to aid those who are tested. That's so the, the writer of Hebrews saw that early on in his letter or, uh, that Jesus had to be made like us. So that's a really good point you're making about the fact that his humanity is a significant part of mm-hmm. his role as our priest. Yeah. And yet we know he is divine. And so because he is the divine priest, then that qualifies him. So the humanity connects him, but the divinity qualifies him. That's good. How about that? And I think that's where we can connect that to the order of Melchizedek, right? So if he's going to be of a different order. So here's here's how the author of Hebrew explains this. If Jesus has come to bring a new covenant, there, there must be a new priesthood. That's the logic. There has to be a new priesthood. Well, Jesus bringing a new priesthood and a better priesthood follows the one of none other than Melchizedek. Well, how is he able to fit this after this order? It's because he's divine. That just as we see Melchizedek having um, no, uh, no ancestry, that he comes out of nowhere, well, we know Jesus is eternal from eternity past. He's never not existed Well, Melchizedek, we see no record of death or his priesthood ending. Well, Jesus, who is divine, who is eternal, he will always be our high priest. We are always represented by Jesus to God on our behalf. He will never end. He'll never fade away. He's never gone away. We're not getting a new high priest or even another priesthood. He is there forever, always to represent us. And that's where that Melchizedekian priesthood, do you like that word? combines, you know, or is made um, relevant and makes him better. So in other words, when you're reading the Bible and you start reading about this dude named Melchizedek or Melchizedek, pay attention because that guy 
that story <laughs> actually has a lot to do with you because he's a symbol of Jesus Christ. All right, so let's do this. Now that we've got that established, so I started the podcast by naming three things. Let's talk about the three things that mm-hmm. Jesus does in this role. So His he, ministry. His actually. ministry as the priest. So one, he it has to do with redemption or reconciliation. So I use reconciliation because that really in all of it encompasses the offerings and the sacrifices and atonement, everything. So let, let's just go. So there's that intercession. And then, you know, we could just briefly touch on blessing because I think that's probably the, the minor role. So let's talk about that. How is Jesus as the high priest? How, how does he operate in that role as the one who brings reconciliation or redemption? So Jesus is the representative of all of humanity. So he is the one going to God for us. Remember how we talked about the priests in the Old Testament that would make themselves ritually clean and perfect, essentially holy. They did that through changing clothes and washing themselves and whatever. But we call those types and shadows. That's what the Bible calls them. Well, Jesus is the reality. So instead of wearing a white vestment or cleansing himself with water, Jesus is actually holy. Like he is actually the perfect, righteous, sinless representative of humanity to God. That's why Paul said, he who knew no sin became, became sin. sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Exactly. Right. And so he's going to God um, to make us holy like that. But here is the cool thing is that Jesus is the high priest come to make a sacrifice, perfectly able to represent us, perfectly holy. And at the same time, he is the sacrifice. The lamb of God. How crazy. Who takes away the sin of the world. He is the high priest, and he is the lamb. So he functions in both roles. So Absolutely. when you talk about a priest offers sacrifices, that's really fundamental. Mm-hmm. So you've got Jesus. I, I like to say it like this. You have Jesus as the offerer and the offering, yep. the gift and the giver, the priest and the sacrifice. How cool. And it's because he's human that he can be the gift, the offering, and the sacrifice and it is also because he is divine that can, he can be the giver and the offerer and the priest. It's a beautiful system. Right there. It's crazy. That's how he can be both because he's 100% God, 100% man, the God-man who comes down as the Lamb of God who is the priest. And he still is the Lamb of God. John sees him in heaven. He said, I saw one sitting upon the throne as a lamb that was slain. Mm. And he saw Jesus. And yet he is the great high priest who ever lives and makes intercession for us. So... That, that's beautiful. And so Jesus gives his life as the great high priest, dies on a cross. Even dies outside of camp, if we want to use some scapegoat language. Yeah. He is sent outside. He went outside of Jerusalem, all right, and he died, and his blood was shed like mm-hmm. a, a lamb's. But then he dies, and then I know that that the writer of Hebrews tremendously implies that he took that blood. I don't know that he actually took the blood, but there's the symbolism Mm -hmm. that just as the priest would take the blood then into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, into the place where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the Shekinah glory would manifest, where the presence of God was considered to dwell on earth, Mm -hmm. uh, he would go in there and take the blood to God. And so the idea is in Hebrews that after he died, he ascended to heaven and in essence, took his own blood to the Father into the true Holy of mm-hmm. Holies, the presence of God, and said, here is the blood shed for not just the redemption of national Israel, 
but for the sins of all of humanity. And because I am perfect, I don't have to offer myself over and over and over like each high priest had to do on every day of atonement, but I can do it one time, a once and for all sacrifice, and then it's it's done. Wow. And now as the priest, I have made it a new and a living way to God. That's why a lot of people don't know this because they miss it. It's right there in the Gospels if you'll take the time to notice it. But the day Jesus died, a Roman soldier shoved a spear in his side and ripped it open to see if he was dead. And John said blood and water came out, which is a sign. I used to know the medical term, but I'm not sure that it's the exact right one. I used to call it hydropericardia, but I'm not sure that's exactly the right term. So I think there's a different term. But when you're the blood and plasma that separates, mm-hmm. your heart stopped working. So it's a sign that you're dead. So anybody who might think Jesus didn't really die, he died. Yeah. There was physical evidence. John saw that. But when he ripped open Jesus' side, one of the gospel writers, I can't remember which one, says that the veil in the temple, okay, which kept all of humanity out of the holy place, the only person who could go in there was the high priest, and one time a year was literally ripped in two. Now, remember I told you earlier that veil was five to six, seven, eight inches thick. Nobody's going to rip that in half. It's a woven veil. Well, God did. He ripped it. It's ripped in half, exposing the Holy of Holies. Now, this is in the Gospels. Read it. It's there. I, I, I'll try to find it. But and, and that was God's object lesson of saying, <laughs> you don't need a, a human high priest anymore. You don't need to go into a temple, Holy of Holies anymore. You don't need to offer the blood of a lamb every year anymore. I'm exposing it. Because I've just, through my son, Jesus Christ, the priest has offered himself as a lamb, and now there's a new and a living way into God. Mm-hmm. Whosoever will can come. Now, let's break that down in the practical. When we see all that in the in the typology and everything, it seems like nothing happens, right, if we're speaking about the Old Testament. But Jesus has come to bring a real reconciliation. He's come to bring us really in to the presence of God. So where the high priest in the Old Testament symbolically represented Israel and brought Israel to God. Paul says like 160 something times that we are in Christ. Like we are in union with Jesus Christ. That's why all he, all the things he does on behalf of us actually work. And as the real Christ is now in the presence of God, so too are we in the presence of God, both through the invading the Holy Spirit who's in our lives and in the resurrection, we will actually be in the presence of God, in God's holy presence forever. That's why the temple is ripped in two. Where the day of atonement, uh, the the blood symbolically cleansed and purified us. The author of Hebrews says that he has perfected forever those whom he has sanctified or who he is sanctifying. That where before they got a ritual cleansing, that now that this new covenant has come, we are actually made righteous, actually made pure. We're actually a new creation and our sins are done away with in a real way. We are reconciled to God because we aren't enemies and dead people and zombies and sinners anymore. We're actually resurrected. The enmity is gone, and we're brought together with God. There is a real effect taking place, not just a cooler version of a ritual cleansing. This means something for you. Yeah, I mean, there's a priest who lives that if you'll come to him and ask for forgiveness, the blood that he shed, its power will be applied to your life to wash you and cleanse you and change you. And you confess your sins to the priest, the high priest named Jesus. And whosoever confesses 
you know, their sins. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. The mm-hmm. priest forgives you. God forgives you. The priest cleanses you. God cleanses you because God is the priest. Absolutely. And from all unrighteousness. And you're given the righteousness of God. All right, so that's the reconciliation role. Okay, anything mm-hmm. else there? I think that's good. All right, second, there's the intercessor role. So the priest is a mediator, the middleman, the stand between between God and man. And so he speaks to God on man's behalf. What do you see in his role there is Jesus as the intercessor? Because I know you can see pictures of this in the Gospels. Like John would pray. Or I'll give you, I'll give you a, 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 an example from a person, then I'll give you an example from the disciples. Mm-hmm. Peter, Jesus was with Peter, and he said, Peter... Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. Mm. And and then what he say? Something like when your faith has failed and you return, you know, something like that. In other words, he predicted he was going to deny him, but you, you need to come back. So there's Jesus interceding for Peter because Satan wants to attack Peter because he sees Peter has weaknesses and he mm-hmm. wants to go after him. So you see he's interceding. Yeah. If you go to John 17, that's often called John chapter 17, where Jesus actually prays. That chapter is a prayer. It's called the high priestly prayer. There you go. See, you, you know that, <laughs> the high priestly prayer, where he's praying for the apostles there, okay, the 11, because Judas is not there. And then he, he goes on to pray for us. Yeah. And he prays that we may be one with each other and that the church would be unified and that we would be one with the Father and one with him and it's an incredible prayer. So we know that that's part of Jesus' role. Those are just a couple examples. But now he is in heaven at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Now, how, what does that mean to you? Hmm. So let me break that down in a couple of ways. Now, you just tell me if I'm wrong. If we're going to go by the two examples you've given me, I, I think it's fair to say at least through Jesus or we know for sure the Holy Spirit that he is interceding for us just because he loves us and maybe even things we don't know he's saying. For instance, at least the Holy Spirit, we know that he's, he intercedes for us and prays with groanings too great for words. He, he prays for us when we don't know what to pray, right? And if the Trinity always works together and doesn't work against one another, it's even possible to say that Jesus is praying for us, maybe in ways we don't know. All right, I'm going to give you some terms while you're on that. Yeah. It's called advocate. Yes. All right, the old King James Bible says a comforter. So Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come. He said, I will send you a, another comforters with the old King James. Well, the newer translations do a better job of saying helper mm-hmm. or advocate. It's parakletos, okay, in the Greek, which means a helper, one who stands alongside to help. You would think like an attorney. So when you go to court in America, you are you are permitted, it is, it is law that you must be given a legal counsel. Only reason you don't get it is if you refuse it. So we are trying to safeguard that you get a fair trial. So you get a defense attorney. Okay. So that's your paracletos. That's your paraclete. That's your one that stands alongside to help. Well, we know the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. But did you know Jesus is also a paraclete? He is. A, if you go to First John chapter two, uh, John says, uh, 
brethren, write these things to you that you sin not. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. The righteous one. The righteous one. So he is the one who stands alongside us to help. So he is our defense attorney, if you will. So Jesus is that intercessor, that go-between, that mediator. He is, I'll put it this way. So he, it's through him that we have access to the Father. That's why he is our intercessor. It's why he's our mediator. It's why he's our go-between. We don't get to the Father unless we get to him through the Son. Right, and usually if you're going to talk to the judge, you, you talk to the judge yep. through your attorney. Okay, but because we're priests, we have access to talk to the judge because the judge happens to be our Heavenly Father. Yeah. So that's where the breaks down. But you're right. He is the meteor. He's, uh, Paul wrote in Timothy, one of his letters to Timothy, he said, there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Notice he stresses the humanity mm-hmm. of him as well as his divinity. So here's my point. There is a role where Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, over and over the New Testament talks about that. It is one of the most oft-repeated phrases in the New Testament that Jesus is seated at the right hand. of. It's like people, God wants us to know where the Son is. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. All right, whoever is at the right hand of a king has the king's ear. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Okay. So the concept there is that Jesus has the Father's ear and we have Jesus' ear. Okay. So when we pray, we have one who stands there to to advocate for us, to say, Yes, Father, I, I support them. This is your child. This is my brothers, my sister. The, the, I'm I'm supporting them. Let's let's answer their prayer. They're asking in my name. See, it all wraps up together because we always pray in the name of Jesus, amen. We always say in the name of Jesus. And the reason why is because we're pleading to our advocate, the Father, what I'm needing, I'm, I'm doing this in Jesus' name. But but it even goes deeper than that. Um, if you read like Hebrews 7.25, it is just so rich. Uh, it, 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 it says he always lives to make intercession for them. And so it, it just has this idea of pleading when the person on behalf of another. So it has the concept of Jesus is sitting there pleading on our behalf to the Father. Now, you know, you're saying, well, I mean, I pray, doesn't God hear me? I I don't think that's what this is about. I think God does hear us Mm -hmm. when we pray. I think this is more of a judicial setting, okay? So there is a devil who is the accuser of the brethren. That's what the Bible calls Mm -hmm. him, okay? So the devil goes and stands before God to accuse us. I mean, in the, this is kind of a weird way, but even when we look at the book of Job, it's almost like the devil is hanging out, just going, who can I accuse next? Right. Does that make sense? He, He's going to he, God going, let me get him, allow something bad to happen to him so I can accuse him. Well, he it. said, where have you been? I said, I've been go-. He said, I've been going to and throw throughout the earth. Yeah. I think he's checking out all of God's people, trying to find some, dig up some dirt so that he can come back to God and accuse us. Yeah and try to get God to pass judgment against us rather than for us. Here's the thing that I want us to get today. Through the atonement, through Jesus' death, Jesus met all the just demands of the law, right? So no legal charges can justly be brought against uh, the one for whom he paid the price. Because he didn't die for himself, he died for us. So he met all the legal demands. So if Satan comes and tries to bring up your past— it won't work 
because your advocate will say, oh, no, I died for all those sins, and they, they've confessed me and accepted me as Savior. You can't bring up any past charges against them. They've all been dropped. See? Yeah. Well, are you saying, well, sometimes I mess up now. Well, Satan comes and tries to bring charges up for when you fail, <clears throat> but Jesus meets them by pointing to his finished work on the cross. So that's why if the enemy brings up a charge against you and you've done something wrong, but you've, you've asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and confessed your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. So that's that's a judge work, a role mm-hmm. of judge. So if Satan says, yeah, but but Evan, he messed up today and he, he, he sinned today, Father, but you've already prayed about it. Jesus steps in and says, Father, you're right, he did do it. But he confessed my his sins and he pled the blood. He didn't plead the fifth, he pled the blood, my blood, and the blood's been applied and those charges have been dropped and and uh that's that's been covered by my death, all the justice and Satan stands there with his jaw. He can't he can't, can't do, do anything. anything. See, that's why you need to confess your sins. Now, if you leave un unrepentant, unconfessed sins in your life, then then guess what? You claim to, to love Jesus all you want. But you've got something that's standing between you and God. There are charges. There are warrants out for your arrest, yeah. so to speak. And Satan knows it, and he's standing before God accusing you. And he's right because you have done wrong, but you haven't done anything about it. And that's why I've preached for years, keep short accounts with God. When you mess up, get on your knees and say, God, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. You know, I got blindsided. I said something. I thought something. I did something I shouldn't have done. Forgive me. I'm sorry. And you really are repentant. You're like, I wish I could take it back. I wish I could go back and five minutes ago and redo that moment. But you confess. And that's that why when you keep short accounts, Satan, he can't. And, what do you, and that's where Jesus is standing there advocating for us. Isn't that beautiful? I think it's very beautiful. Because there is, heaven is a courtroom. We don't think about that, but heaven is a courtroom. Job said, oh, that I could stand before him and, in essence, plead my case. He couldn't understand why he was going what he was going through. And he said, I wish I had, well, I could get an audience with yeah, God, God, and I would plead my case. That's what he said. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so there are times we, we, we don't even know how to plead our case, but Jesus always pleads our case for us. All we have to do is go to him. It's as simple as that. It's, as that, it's that simple. And I love I love the idea of, of God, of Jesus, rather, as intercessor to God for us. Um, you know, even when we don't know what's going on, for instance, in that high priestly prayer, he's, he basically says, Lord, I've protected all of them except for one, Judas. Right. And so Jesus is constantly going to God for our protection, praying for us um, on our behalf, keeping us within his bounds, <clears throat> excuse me, as long as we are willing to stay and be with him. So he's constantly going for us. And I think, too, what makes him such a great intercessor is because he is a human high priest, the author of Hebrews says he's gone through every temptation that we have. He is a merciful and gracious high priest. Yeah, he knows. And so he gets it. And yeah. so we can come to him and ask for grace, ask for mercy in time of need, and he's ready to give it. He's ready to go to the Father for us. He's ready to help us because he gets it. He's not distant from us or unknowing or whatever. He's actually experienced it. So and we're, in his divine nature, he knows everything, but in his human nature, he's able to experience what his divine nature cannot experience so let's because go down, it's divine. Let's go down a road. So Jesus, while on this earth, most likely was tempted to steal something or tempted to tell a lie or tempted to lust or was tempted to be disrespectful to Mary and Joseph 
or was tempted to use the Lord's name in vain when he hit his thumb with a hammer because he was a carpenter. <laughs> I don't know that we ever stopped to just think about those things. It almost feels sacrilegious when and, you start to think about not. it. But it's not. It's not. It's biblical. Yeah. He was tempted in all points such as we are yet without sin, He the was Bible tempted says. directly by Satan. By well, Satan. That's the story right in there. Yeah, to worship the devil rather than God. So we can name at least three that do an act in pride to put himself to be selfish. And uh, and to use the divine powers of God for selfish reasons. So, yeah, but the point is he went through all that and was victorious. Mm-hmm. And so he knows when we're tempted. He knows when we fail. And I know, boy, I beat myself up when I fail, when I do the wrong thing. I beat myself up. I mean, I help the Holy Ghost conviction out. I, I help yeah. him out. I mean, I'm just, I'm bad. And I beat myself up. But but God, and he, of course, he doesn't like it when we sin, but when we're repentant and we're humble and our conscience is bothering us and we're coming begging and crying out for mercy and grace, he sees our hearts. He gets it when we're struggling. If you look at the context of Hebrews, there are all of these Judaizers or these even just you know flat-out Jewish folks who are, who are persecuting Christians, Jewish converts to Christianity, and persecuting them heavily. And so what was happening is all of these these Christian converts were going back to Judaism and rejecting Jesus, saying essentially, yeah, you're right. He was just a criminal who deserved the cross. So when the author of Hebrews speaks about these temptations, he's speaking about these persecutions, about being ostracized from society, about possibly being violently attacked, you name it. I mean, like you can't, we probably can't even imagine the pressure that they were under being constantly persecuted for their faith. And he's going, you know, look, I get it. Like, I get why you'd want to abandon me. I get why you'd want to stop being persecuted. I get why you'd want to curse my name, but but don't. I get it, so come receive grace and mercy and help in time of need. I'm not mad at you for being tempted. I get it, but just let me help you. Don't fall into it. Right, which I think is I think is is amazing that Jesus can sympathize with us, empathize with us, obviously without ever condoning sin. Well, let me give you one more verse that's really powerful. Romans eight is one of the richest chapters in the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's so rich. I mean, the whole Bible, of course, is wonderful. But Paul gets into this last part of eight where he's asking these powerful questions. Uh, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? All right, think about that. Jesus is your high priest is for you. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Hmm. See, all this is because of Christ. And then he said, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Well, I got an answer, the devil. (laughs) Sometimes people. Sometimes mean, wicked people will just say harmful, hurtful things and make false accusations against you. And and he, and yet he says, who's going to do it? doesn't matter. It is God who justifies. So when I sin, yeah, I'm wrong. But if I ask God to forgive me, I'm justified by God. And then he said, who is he who condemns? Well, again, the devil. Sometimes other people. Sometimes me. <laughs> I can condemn myself pretty good when I mess up. But he says, it is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, risen, watch this, who is even at the right hand of God. See, there it is. Mm-hmm. Another one of those times. Well, hold on, last part. Who also makes intercession for us. He died, he rose, 
He's seated at the right hand of God to do what? Make intercession. To make intercession for us. So when somebody's trying to condemn you because you messed up, but you've confessed it and made it right, you've got an advocate standing there who's interceding, say, but Father, it doesn't matter. Yeah, they messed up, but it doesn't matter. It's under the blood. It's under the blood. So that's pretty powerful, isn't it? It is good. Uh, I think the last thing then is, and we can maybe close on this, is um, that the priest would bless. And there was actually... um, you may have to help me here if I remember. It was the Aaronic blessing, right? There was a blessing that Aaron was supposed to speak, the high priest, over the people of God as in the Old Testament. So there is that concept that the high priest blesses the people. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know that we ever think about how much we're blessed. Paul says that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. Waiting for us. That is we are in union with Christ and everything he's done, he's died, he's risen again, he's in the presence of the Father. That's waiting for us. We're all going to die unless Jesus comes back, but we're going to rise again. We're going to be with God the Father, receive an inheritance through his work. Right, and that's the work of Jesus as the high priest. Yeah. So this one is, we could just spend another hour talking about it, but we don't have to. Every blessing in your life, Think about every blessing you have. Where does it come from? It comes from God, okay? But who does it come through? It comes through the high priest who speaks blessing on you. And and it's not like saying, oh, I, I bless you, son. I bless you, Evan. Be blessed. Be blessed. <laughs> yeah. That's just a statement. No, when God speaks blessing, it it becomes reality. Yeah. You, you get blessed. Checks come in the mail. You get healthy. You're not sick anymore. You get delivered. You get filled with the Holy Spirit. You get a greater anointing. Just keep going down the list. God gives you joy, peace, takes away all the bad feelings, whatever. Every blessing in your life. You get more clients. God blesses your business. Every blessing comes through the great high priest. So I just think today this this session has been really powerful because, or this this podcast, because hopefully we're all going to walk away from this one going, wow, I see Jesus in so many different ways, but boy, is my High priest, he really does so much for Sorry me. about that. Siri decided to interrupt this excellent wow. ending Siri to is, the podcast. Siri is getting into the podcast. Sorry I think about that. that. <laughs> no, I just think that is so cool. That's never happened before. So, she just had to say something. It was just too good. See, even Siri's getting blessed. Oh, boy. <laughs> so anyway, I just thought that's pretty good in it. Just that's When you think good. about Jesus, Jesus is the one who, who blesses, blesses us. us. I mean, he's our because he's our high priest. So let's take uh, two minutes. How do we respond in light of all this? And, and and for some of you, you know, maybe you've heard this teaching a lot, and maybe it's kind of tied up some loose ends. Uh, maybe for others, this is the first time you've heard Jesus's work, work so intimately connected to the priesthood, to the Old Testament, to things that oftentimes seem foreign. What's our response in light of all of this? What do we do? One thing I'd say is it. It uh, encourages us to just stay faithful because he's our perfect high priest. He's faithful to us. He has brought us every good and perfect gift. Um, he, he has got gifts waiting for us in the heavenly places. Um, he's interceding for us on our behalf, taking care of us. I would just say stay faithful. Run the race. Keep going. Don't give up. He's accomplished too much for you. He's fighting too hard for you. He's full of grace, mercy, forgiveness, help, and time of need for you. Man, when times get tough, don't give up. 
Just don't give up. It might seem worth giving up. Just stay faithful to him. I think that's a great one. Uh, I think he's faithful, so you should stay faithful. I think this could affect your worship and your praise, Mm -hmm. that you need to be thankful to him as the one who blesses you and does all that he does for you as a high priest. Um, so, So it should affect your worship. Thank you, Jesus, as my high priest for blessing me every day of my mm-hmm. life. I think the other one is, and we've already said it, but I think it's now worth recapping, is that when you sin and you fail, and we all do, remember that you have a high priest uh, and go to him, run to him, and say, Jesus, I am so sorry, forgive me, and he will stand in the gap. And if your heart is, you're, you mean it, you're sincere, and you're humble and repentant. God will wash away your sins and cleanse you, and we get up and we learn and we grow, and we're better. Uh, we come, we become more like Jesus. I think it isn't just forgiveness, but I believe the Lord even changes our character. That out of our failures, we fail forward. Yeah, and we grow in the Lord, and we become better at it, and we're smarter, and we're wiser, and and we're seasoned, and we realized, you know, that trap got me before. I'm not going to ever let it get me again. And that's the help of God. So I think those are three three powerful things right there that help us. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. I think that's a perfect way to end, unless you got anything else. Nah, I think this is good stuff. Well, look, thank you so much for joining us on Let's Talk About God today. Go ahead and give us a, a rating, a review online that it helps us be exposed to more people. Go ahead and send this podcast to somebody that needs it. Post it on your Facebook, Instagram um, even if it's just a, a, a story, whatever you got to do, just um, just share this with somebody so that we can get the message out here. Um, if you've got a question, we may answer it at the end of a future podcast. We don't do it at the end of every podcast, um, but we would love to answer your um, unique questions, even if it's only five to 10 minutes. Um, but hey, if it's a good enough one, we may make a whole episode out of it. We have, we've had some people send in questions that we've just been sitting on because we said, hey, We don't want to just take 10 minutes for this. We want to do a whole episode. So go ahead, find us at High Praises Church based in Anderson, South Carolina on Facebook or Instagram. Send us a quick direct message and we would love to answer your question at the end of the episode or make an episode about it. Thank you so much and we will see you in a couple of weeks.